You're listening to Beyond Synth, the best synthwave chat show there is. Hey there, welcome to the show. This is Beyond Synth, episode 318, and on the show today, I will be chatting with Diamond Field. But before we do that, we got some cool music to listen to and stuff like that. Uh, Stuff like that. Yeah, I hope you're all having a lovely day. Let's listen to a cool song from Caspro. And uh, it is brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. We have a new patron this week, Mr. Fuzzy Saber. Not Mr. Fuzzy Saber, just Fuzzy Saber. And he wrote me a quick message. He says, hey, Andy, you've convinced me. I've been listening to your show on SoundCloud for about eight months now, and now I'm a Patreon supporter. I've left you a few complimentary messages on SoundCloud previously as Fuzzy Saber. Real name is, hold on. Is this a secret? You've sent this privately to my Patreon. I tell you what, I will support your anonymity and just call you Fuzzy Saber unless you tell me otherwise. And then he says, looking forward to hearing your awesome show for a long time to come. Well, me too, man. You and I are the only two people who actually listen to this show, so I guess I gotta keep making it. So now, let's listen to this. This is Casbro with the track Life Force.
And that was Life Force by Caspro from the album In Search of Darkness Part 2 Original Documentary Soundtrack. And that was brought to you by the Kings of the Pattersons, Mr. Chris Dance, King of All Kings, Mr. Mike Shima, and Mystery Donor. And, uh, and what the hell, my pals in the Kroner Club, we got Emil, Hampus ML, and Glenn Maine. My stomach is so loud today, I think I must have eaten something that I shouldn't have. You know, now that I'm 40 years old, I really ought to start eating better. I don't eat horribly, but I'm big into snacks. And I will eat whatever is here. So if my wife comes home and she went grocery shopping and she buys a bunch of like cookies and stuff, I just keep going back to the kitchen and eating cookies. And like I wouldn't have eaten them if they weren't there. I'm told I should replace those snacking habits with nuts. So you all let me know. Do you all like nuts? Nuts as a snack? The problem is almonds are great and they're fucking expensive. That's the thing. I would always like a fresh bowl of almonds around. But when you go to the grocery store, it's like $15 for like a little pouch. (laughs) A little pouch of nuts. (laughs) I do like peanuts as well, though, but I bet you peanuts have to be the worst, right? Whenever there's a thing, people tell you like, oh, eat healthy, eat fruits and vegetables. The fruit that everyone loves the most is always the one that's the worst one, of course, right? It's like, well, you know, the real, the healthiest fruit is that weird fucking purple one that tastes like shit. And then everyone's like, I like apples and oranges. And like, well, you know, technically apples don't give you any nutritional value and blah, blah. I'm like, well, then fucking stop telling me to eat fruits. I don't know who I'm mad at here. (laughs) it's just that's always the way don't forget to eat your greens oh sweet cool i'll have all this fucking uh iceberg lettuce in my sand well iceberg lettuce is actually nothing it's just water i'm just well then shut up anyway i've got nothing to say today so i'm (laughs) like the past few weeks i've had like a big list of stuff and letters to read and all this and then this week i i got nothing so let's just listen to this track by aftermore from the album no longer you uh it's brought to you of course by my awesome Patreon supporters. Well, there's Mike Erdahl with the 5666. Mike Erdahl is a cool guy. You know, I got two patrons in a row called Mike because it goes Mike Shima and then it goes Mike Erdahl when I'm going through my list. That's not interesting. Uh, And then we got in the $50 club, Mr. Brendan Decker. And of course, Mr. Tim Carlton. Remember when I used to call you the Golden Boner? I'm going to start calling you the Golden Boner again. All right, and uh, let's listen to this. This is Aftermore with Winds Deprive featuring Sackabee.
That was Winds Deprive featuring Sackabee by Aftermoor. Now, am I saying Sackabee right? S-A-K-E-B-I. Sackabee? Sackabee? I tell you what, I say this every week, but feel free to message me and let me know if I'm saying it wrong. Because all I ever wanted to do in life was to say it right. Hey, I was selling some uh, used electronics and stuff, as you guys know. I think someone was even making fun of me because I had to buy a new laptop and I had to basically sell everything I owned to uh, afford it because I am uh, not a wealthy man. I think I was talking about it last week on the So Below episode and uh, someone left a comment on SoundCloud. A. John Sonorg. A. John Sonorg. He says, where do I find Andy's secondhand emporium? And then I replied, are you in the market for used shitty electronics? Anyway, so I was selling this thing, and then someone wrote me a message that said, I will trade you for a Versace shirt, never worn, still with tags on it, worth three fifty. And that was the message. I love the idea of just having a $350 Versace shirt and trying to trade it for computer parts with people. Like, it's just such a... <laughs> I'll tell you a little about me. I literally don't give a fuck about how expensive clothes are. So that's not a thing that impresses me. I'm never impressed by how expensive anything is. Because as far as I'm concerned, if something is expensive and good, that's the way it should be. So it doesn't impress me if something expensive is cool, if that makes sense. Like, if someone shows up and goes like, Hey man, check out this fucking car. Like, it's like, it costs like 200 grand. It's got like heated seats. I'm like, well, fucking better have heated seats. What the fuck? (laughs) Because, I mean, like, I've got no issue with the idea of luxury products. It's just, it doesn't impress me if a luxury product is good because it's like, right, isn't it supposed to be? Like, isn't that the point? But I know some people just buy expensive things for the brand recognition, and that, to me, is, like, completely lame because I'm all about, like, function. And I know people could say that and go, like, well, Andy, you buy Apple products, and that's just for the name. And I know this is going to sound like a guy coping because he just bought a really expensive laptop, but the truth of the matter is... I've used MacBooks, and I've used good quality PC laptops. Again, you're going to get mad at me if you're one of those people who hates Apple. Fucking MacBooks just feel better. And I've used both. I'm not... Like, listen, if I could get what I wanted from a cheaper PC, I would do it. Because like I told you before, I'm literally selling all of my belongings to, (laughs) to buy these things. You know, I'm 40 years old. I've been, you know, video editing for like 20 years and using both Macs and PCs, and I just prefer the feel of a Mac. Now, would I also like Macs to be half the price? Yes, I would. <laughs> it would it would be a lot easier for me. But that's just the case. I mean, when you're using the laptops, the touchpads on MacBooks feel better. The gestures of doing multiple finger gestures and stuff just feel better. The tablets feel better. And I use both Apple tablets and Android tablets. And Apple tablets, they just register your touch better. Do me a favor. Go to fucking Best Buy where they have the things on display and literally just touch a fucking Samsung tablet and then touch an Apple tablet. Okay? The Apple ones are just better. Now, that being said, I do use a Samsung tablet for taking notes. And the S Pen is pretty damn good. Okay, And it was so much cheaper than getting a new iPad and also having to spend the extra money for an Apple Pencil. So in that regard, I am enjoying (laughs) a cheap to mid-range Samsung tablet with an S Pen for writing notes and stuff like that. So, you know, 
I'm trying to tell you, I play both sides to get what I want. And uh, what I want now is to listen to some more music. So let's listen to this track from House of Harm, which is some cool new wave sounding stuff. And I dig it. It's uh, brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. Well, there's my semi-sonic friend, Jacob Wick. And with the 3333, it's Retro Serenade and Hugh Hefner with the 2666. And this is House of Harm with Always.
And that was always by House of Harm from the album Vicious Pastimes. Don't forget to check out all the artists I feature on the show. If you're on SoundCloud, click the More Info button. I have all the links to all the artists who I play on the show. If you follow me on Instagram, if you follow me on Twitter or Facebook, uh, whenever I post a new episode, I also include all the links you can follow to check out the artists. Uh, of course, that song was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the 20 $25 club. We got Clint Dowling. We got A Star Apart. We might hear a Star Apart song later in the show. We got Alex Seligson, Blake Peterson, Cargo Cult Luau, Eurobeat Intensifies, Honeybeard, and Johnny Five. And what the hell is this? I got a message from John Massari. You know John Massari, of course, the composer of the Killer Clowns movie, who uh, was a guest on Andy's spaceship. I guess I should really have John Massari on this show sometime. <laughs> Anyway, uh, he's a cool guy. Apparently, there's some Killer Clowns event happening on June the 3rd and the 4th. If you live in North Hollywood, California, uh, it's called Killer Clowns from Outer Space Cosplay Dance Party. Well, that's right, because I was talking to John about this, because I'm like, if people are dressed up like the clowns, how the fuck can they dance? Because, like... You've seen those costumes. Like, anyway, uh, he says apparently they can, so that's good for them. Uh, Friday and Saturday, June 3rd and 4th at Zombie Joe's Underground Theater Group. John didn't ask me to read this, by the way. I just, <laughs> like I told you, I had nothing to talk about this week. So I. <laughs> 4850 Lancashire Boulevard, North Hollywood, California. So go contact Zombie Joe. <laughs> Tickets are $20 in advance. The official website is zombiejoes.com. So uh, go check that out if you're in the North Hollywood area and you want to uh, go to a Killer Clowns from Outer Space cosplay dance party. I know all you cosplayers are freaks. All those clown costumes probably have little, like, ports at the bottom where you can, like, pull your pants down. And I'm just kidding. Don't listen to me. Why are you listening to me? <laughs> You know what I'm doing is I am conflating the Killer Clowns people with, like, the furries. And, you know, to be honest with you, the Killer Clowns fans have given me no reason to make that connection. Sometimes, uh, you know, when you got nothing to say and you're sitting in front of a microphone, you just say some dumb, dumb, dumb things. So how about this? Let's listen to some music instead and restart our brains. I got a cool one here from Jacket featuring Zarina. You remember Zarina? She was on the show a long time ago. She did a little guest spot on one of the episodes of the real Beyond Synth. Oh, I've got something sad to say about that. Well, maybe I'll tell you after. (laughs) I love the idea of teasing something sad. (laughs) Stay tuned after the track for some depressing news. Uh, But no, so look, it's uh, it's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $25 club, Mr. Joseph Richards, Kempson, Kenjiru, Neverman, Restless Nights, and Robot Conglomerate. And this is Jacket featuring Zarina with Regolith. Oh, 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 
And that was Regolith by Jacket featuring Zarina. And that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $25 club like Sir Micathy, Techno Ben, your imaginary friend PT, and Slade. And of course, there's Forged in Neon with the 2049 and Joshua Winter with the 20. And what was I saying? Oh yeah, I teased sad news. So you might not realize this, but for those of you who actually watched the real Beyond Synth, which was five episodes we did of like a late night talk show version of this show where I sat at a desk and I had like a, I built a set and uh, Mike was like the co-host sidekick and he you know filmed his stuff in Austin and I filmed my stuff here we had Dana Jean Phoenix on the, the first episode Protector 101 Magic Sword The Midnight and we only made five of them and I think the last episode we filmed was like in 2018 or something the set has still been up this whole time so I turned one of the walls in my living room into a nighttime sky and the stars were made of dollar store rhinestones. And then I made a big synthwave sun, which was made of cardboard and plaster. And then I painted it. And then I had like a blue polygon mountain thing. It looked like the cover of the gunship album. I never wanted to do a green screen set. I wanted to have a real set because it just made the whole thing just feel a bit more professional. So that's actually been up on my wall this whole time. So even though I'm sitting in the Andy spaceship set, which is my office, uh, a 
across the room from me is the Synthwave Sun. And, like, my wife liked the way it looked, so she never really petitioned me to take it down. Because it does look cool. Like, you look at the other wall, and there's the stars and the Synthwave Sun. But, you know, things happen, and times change, and I am taking it all down for reasons I will disclose at a future date. So I've been taking my my nighttime sky off the wall, taking the Synthwave Sun down. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, because... In all honesty, if I were ever to build a synthwave sun of this size again, I would not do it the way that I did it. Because I built it out of cardboard, but the problem is, when you paint cardboard, it curls up. So even like the the Andy Spaceship set, there's large panels that are cardboard. They have to be um, reinforced with like metal rods and wooden things and stuff to stop the actual boards from bending and warping and stuff. So the actual Synthwave Sun I built, you can't tell if you look at it from far away, but if you walk up close, the whole thing is like curled and fucked up. So I thought what I would do next time would be to get big drywall-sized sheets of corrugated plastic, you know, the type that they make signs out of, but the corrugated plastic that is translucent, then just paint the Synthwave Sun, like paint all in black like a stencil, but then leave the Synthwave Sun translucent and then shine a light from behind it so that the light doesn't go through the black paint but just goes through where the sun is, that would be cool. So if I ever redo or build a new set for whatever reason that involves a Synthwave Sun, that's the way I'm going to do it. Corrugated plastic. Is this interesting to anybody? Hey, let's listen to some music. I want to listen to this one from Brandon. I put out an album recently called Coastline, the Coastline EP. Brandon is a cool guy who makes awesome music. Uh, it's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. There's Waylon Kasky Geospatial with the 1988, Toots with the 1986. In the 1985 club, we got the Buchelman sisters, Rachel and Sarah. And then with the 1555, it's Gene Creamer, Private Eye. And then, of course, there's Mads Baron Christensen. And we will never forget the immortal Chris Salaya Lane. And now this is Coastline by Brandon.
And that was Brandon with the track Coastline from the Coastline EP. That's right. We call that the titular track. And Brandon is the titular Brandon. And uh, and that, of course, was brought to you by my awesome PayPals. What? That's right. Besides supporting Beyond Synth on Patreon.com, some people support the show on PayPal because they think they're cool guys. And you know what? I agree. So I would like to thank Upgrade Jimpy, the king of the PayPals. I hope you're doing well. Good, sir. And then there's Ross Bruce, the Silver Bruce. I hope you are doing well as well. Is that a sentence? Then, of course, there's Alex Lightspeed in the 1984 Club. And then there's Austin Whetstone, Jimmy Groon, the Rosconian, Brandon Morin, Digital Dreams, Gustav Velichek, Dan Williams, Russell Nyes, Timothy Warwick, and Jersey. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Speaking of shows, have anyone watched Moon Knight? Moon Knight. So I watched that trailer a whole bunch, and it just plays that fucking song. We're just, <laughs> day and night. Now I can't. <laughs> it's sort of like a running joke I have going with Mike right now. If I'm talking to him, then just out of nowhere, just, moon night. I can't tell the difference between my waking life and dreams. I can't tell the difference between my waking life and dreams. It's okay. My favorite parts are in the in the earlier episodes whenever he would like switch personalities and he blacks out. The screen would like flicker on and off and then when it came back he'd be in a situation he didn't recognize. And like those were I found the most fun parts of the show. But I don't know. Maybe I'm just maybe I just got to take a break from uh, superhero films for a while. Cuz I mean I do like them a lot, but I'm not necessarily getting like emotionally engaged by any of this stuff. Oh, I did watch the first two episodes of Arcane. That cartoon's pretty cool. Great style cuz I Watched, I was watching like a Corridor Crew video and they were talking about the animation and I thought, well, that's kind of cool. And I checked it out and there's a bunch of people in my Discord saying it was cool. So uh, I gave it a watch and uh, it's it's decent. At first, I couldn't find it because I was on Netflix searching for Arcane and then I realized that most of the time it's my daughter using Netflix and so it's set to kids mode. So I guess Arcane isn't considered a kids show. Well, I guess there was some like violence in there. Ooh, and then Netflix is in trouble. Did you read all those? Articles. Honestly, I think all Netflix has to do, and this is like a stupid thing to say, you know, when there's like billionaire companies and like there's schlubs like me who can't even afford a laptop without selling everything, uh, give them business advice. But I think the problem is Netflix has just funded so much shit and then they cancel stuff. And all I think Netflix really needs is like four or five must watch shows that they actually support past season two. I think that's pretty much it. What what does Disney Plus cost? It's like 130 a year now. They jacked up the price like 40 bucks (laughs) to be fair like my kids watch the disney movies and things but the reason why i pay the money like the reason why i feel like i'm gonna pay for disney is literally for the mandalorian so i'm paying a service fee for one show so there's no reason why the other streaming services can't function the same way because a lot of people feel like why would i pay a service to watch like one show or whatever But just think about the shows you actually watched when you were young. Because for me, there was basically one or two shows from each network that I gave a shit about. You know, like when I was in high school, it was literally The Simpsons, Seinfeld, X-Files, and what else? Well, that's three shows, right? So if you have a cable fee that costs like 40, 50 bucks a month 
for three shows, what's the fucking difference in paying, you know, 15 bucks a month for Netflix for Stranger Things or whatever? Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it doesn't seem that different to me. I don't know. Anyway, look, let's listen to one more song and then we'll go chat with uh, Diamond Field. So I teased it earlier, but uh, we got a track here from A Star Apart and it's featuring the lovely voice of Glitbiter, who you might know as Florence, who appears on the family shows and uh, she sounds great and it's cool. So let's listen to it. This is A Star Apart with Skybridge featuring Glitbiter.
And that was Skybridge featuring Glitbiter by A Star Apart. And you can check that out on his album Sky Pixels, which has a cool, like, uh, Super Nintendo-inspired cover. I like all that stuff because I like retro things, okay? Because I'm a retro kind of guy. Hope you're all having a lovely day. Uh, feel free to write in some letters and messages. I like having those to read. <laughs> As you can see, when I just put a microphone in front of me and don't have anything to say, <laughs> nothing comes out. Once I get rich, I'll hire a script writer. I want like a team of writers. That's what I want. I want to do that thing where I come to work in the morning and there's just like a table of a bunch of nerds and they're all sitting there just like, oh, we got jokes for you. And then I get to read them and be like, well, that sucks. That's the dream. But you know, we all have different dreams. Some people's dreams are for world peace. So you decide which dream's better, okay? World peace or Andy having a writer's room for no reason, all right? It really is a toss-up. Anyways, uh, let's go chat now with Diamond Field. All right, and I'm here right now with Diamond Field, a.k.a. Andy Diamond, also a.k.a. Andrew B. White. Uh, wait, so do you go by Andy in life? I never used to be. I didn't like that. But probably in the last 10 years or so, as I've moved around and people kind of call you that, well, they know me from the Diamond Field thing. I- I'm happy with that. It's almost like, you know, your mum calls you your full name and you know something's wrong. <laughs> I'm just doing my due diligence. Of course. So I just make sure I call people the right thing because with all these aliases and the older I get, I just start to forget. It's weird because I sort of simultaneously don't care and feel bad because <laughs> everyone has all these different aliases and I don't want to fuck them up. But I also don't expend the mental energy to remember. But then I feel bad if I forget. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And I I agree with you. I mean, I've found I've spoken to the one person and I thought they were both two or three different people and not putting two and two together. And I guess that's kind of the idea, really, because they want to have a different personality. I mean, I, I actually use my real name on the artwork for Diamond Field stuff because of what I do separately. I want to be associated with that. So if that sounds convoluted or completely weird. So the point is the musician Diamond Field is Andy Diamond. Correct. But the guy who does the album artwork is Andrew White. Yeah, well, with a B, actually. Andrew B. White. And there's a story behind that because um, there was a musician in my in Auckland City where I was living who was a quite well-known guitar player called Andrew White. And uh, he'd had a record out on Wyndham Hill and, you know, feeling major labels like that and he would have posters up around town saying he was playing people would say oh i see you're playing you're playing a show and i'm like that's not me and it just got to the point where i was like i've got to do something to differentiate myself between this guy and me so i started to use my middle name the initial for that and uh kind of stuck and that helped and um the funny story was i put a want ad in the local paper at the time for a roommate and guess who showed up it was him. I said, there's no fucking way you and I are both living in the same house with the same name. He <laughs> <laughs> was fun. We, we kind of looked at each other and just, you know, when, when I opened the door and was like, ah, not you again. So yeah, that's, I was forced into using my own name. It wasn't some extravagant name modification. I could have put Esquire on the end of it, possibly. Does the B stand for Bartholomew? Actually, that was a nickname that my parents used to call me when I was naughty. Mm. They used to call me Bart or Bartholomew because I had turned from a nice little boy into something other. So, but it's not. It's not. Surprisingly, no, it's Bruce. Bruce, that's a very down under name. Well, so explain yourself then, because uh, you you are in New York State. You live in the, uh, the United States of America, but you don't sound like your typical New Yorker. 
No, I could do the accent if you want, but it's pretty terrible, uh, a Brooklyn one. I've been in New York City since 2013, so that's almost 10 years. And before that, I was born and raised in New Zealand. You know, I did all my stuff down there, and my wife got offered a job in New York about 10 years ago. And we were wanting to discover some more of the world and try somewhere else, and so we took the opportunity and moved over here. Although, we detoured and lived in Canada, your lovely country, for a mm. year. Where, where'd you live? In Edmonton, in Alberta. Oh. Yeah, I know. That's what most Canadians <laughs> tend to... That's, that's the reaction we get. Oh, 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 really? I don't want to offend anyone of uh, my listeners who lives in Edmonton, if I have one. Oh. I think it's the knife crime capital of Canada, I believe. I don't know if it still holds that title. Oh, really? I wasn't aware of that. I'm glad you told me now, not when I was there, but... It's definitely the coldness capital of Canada, apart from, like, Yellowknife or something way up there. Yeah. But, jeez, it's like seven months of the year, it's fucking freezing. It's like snow. It just comes down. So, why did you go to Edmonton? Uh, It was a project that my wife was working on there. Right. We didn't choose it. It just happened to be a project there. I I actually kind of enjoyed it, because... You you like knife crime? Knife crime, uh, (laughs) oil sands, uh, you know, pickup trucks. You know, Actually, it's actually a nice place. It's actually pretty progressive city. It's kind of like the Austin of Canada, in a way there's a lot of live music there a lot of really a great radio station lots of uh, support for the arts and lgbtq friendly but it's also heavily um yeah they've got the oil sands and industrial stuff and tramping on first nations people and all that kind of stuff so it, you, you get to see all the stuff and then in the summer it's actually fantastic it's very warm and the prairies are all filled with all their lovely canola flowers or whatever and stuff so i think it's great to visit, and if you can handle living in, on Hoth, then you probably would like to live there forever. Did you go to the West Edmonton Mall? Oh, yeah, regularly. There was nothing else to do. You you drive. <laughs> we had to get snow tires on our car, and I'd never driven in the snow before. So we would drive there, park your car, leave all your jackets and stuff in the car and have to run two minutes to get in from the car park parking lot into the mall where you would suddenly defrost because you wouldn't want to take all your coats and jackets in there all day. Mm. And then you would, you know, you'd visit all the stores and you'd see the ice hockey rink and play 10 bowling and just go apeshit and buy a whole lot of things you didn't need. Well, your wife sounds like she's got a real interesting job. Yeah. Hopping all over the place, international, whatever, and you're just sort of tagging along? Pretty much, yeah. And um, yeah, she works in the museum design business, so it's kind of specialized. I mean, I, I used to run my own business and do a lot of graphic design for music industry stuff and I did that for a very long time so this was a good opportunity for me to edge myself out of that a little bit and move on to um, other pursuits. What museum was being designed in Edmonton? Oh that was a refit for the uh, Royal Alberta Museum. Oh okay. Like it used to be off the beaten track and now it's downtown. Edmonton has a huge massive new downtown area where uh, they put the ice hockey stadium in there. You know the Oilers are from there if you're into ice hockey uh, who won the Stanley Cup a couple of times and yeah so they've built this whole massive sort of area downtown now and that's where the museum moved to. That's where the knife fighting ring is. I don't know if Canadians are too nice to be knife fighting. Well there's... <laughs> Actually, you know what? Let me just verify. That used to be the thing. We'd always joke, because I think Edmonton has the highest crime rate of the major cities in Canada. Wow. Which is weird, because I, I, I don't know if it's like a per capita thing. Edmonton 
Well, I'm going to skew the results here. Knife crime. Uh, man attack. No, that's not good. Five-year prison sentence for meth-fueled Edmonton knife. No, knife crime. Edmonton stabbings. <laughs> Terrified residents. I just wanted the statistics. I should have typed in statistics. You might have to check on the old uh, RCMP website or something, but, you know, I think it's probably like guy goes to London Drugs, asks for a packet of Marlboros, gets the wrong type of cigarette, and says to the uh, assistant, hey, fuck you, and he's arrested. That's pretty much the, all the crime that I saw there. <laughs> There's a law that if you walk, start to walk across the street, all the cars slow down, they stop for you, they've got to let you cross. I don't know if that applies through all Canada, but definitely there because it's like a big no-no if you hit someone. And because of all the snow, they, they can't slow down fast enough to... <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that a rule everywhere? Uh, well, you'd be surprised. <laughs> when you come to New York City, you can, you know, it's like that classic taxi driver scene, you know, he's like, I'm walking here. I always thought the pedestrian just always had the right of way. You'd think so. Like, if you run into a pedestrian, I think it's automatically classified as your fault if you're the driver. Just like, you know, when you T-bone somebody, like, in your car, I think it's automatically your fault if you're the one who slams into the side of the other car. Because you're the one who could have, uh, put on the brakes and so it makes it your fault even if yeah. like you're caught off guard or whatever like just but I could be completely making things up but no. I think that's the case with pedestrians where it's like no matter what happens if you're the one in the car you shouldn't hit people uh, yeah, that, that kind of does make sense, and it is the law, really. But, you know, there's many occasions walking through Brooklyn here, and, uh, you know, you have the zebra crossing out in front of you. And, uh, of course, that means that you must let the car go through before you walk across it. That's pretty much how it works. There, there has been a new law uh, saying you've got to stop, but when I see that actually happening, people just don't give a fuck. They just drive. Well, I think it's even if you don't have the right of way, I think it's just one of those situations where the edge will still go to blaming the driver, even if you as the pedestrian were in the wrong, like you'll have that sort of burden of proof. Yeah. Even though technically you're not supposed to be crossing when the light is off, I don't think you would just get away with that if you run somebody over and just like, hey man, the light was green. Like, I think you'd still have to prove a few things to get away with it well that whole jaywalking thing was actually quite big you know where the cops would give you a ticket for jaywalking you know especially in the city but you know america is such a litigious place you know you see all these bus signs and billboards and tv ads you know injured we'll get you your million dollars call 0800 you know and all these kind of yeah. typical looking suited lawyer guys who basically specialize in people who get mashed walking out in front of cars so if you're willing to do that you might get some coin out of it you know I like when the lawyers have catchphrases that rhyme with their last name. Oh, yeah. That's the key. <laughs> there were these two guys here called Salino and Barnes, and they, they split up, and then they both had the Salino lawyers and the Barnes lawyers, and they both pretty much had the same jingle again, just with one digit changed on their number, you know. And it, yeah. <laughs> so you could call both of them if you wanted to and see what, uh, what deal you could get was, was the best. Well, I'll tell you the deal right now. we got to listen to some music. And I'd like to listen to this one, which you did several years ago with Rat Rios, who I haven't seen around in a while. I don't know where she's at. She's still doing stuff? Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, you can uh, tell me all about it after we listen to it. Mm -hmm. uh, this is Closer by Diamond Field and Rat Rios.
And that was Closer by Diamond Field and Rat Rios. And I'm here right now. Does she still go by Rat Rios? She does, yeah. Uh, her name's Sammy, uh, Samantha. But Rat Rios is her music name. She's a very multi-talented person. She does uh, acting and like drama and writes music. So she's been more involved in doing that stuff than kind of... I mean, she, she still releases her own stuff, but that's kind of her thing. Her partner is also a musician as well and a video editor, photographer dude. So he's cool. Yeah, I, I kind of heard her voice and thought, oh, I need to work with her. And the first song that we did was for Mike's Retro Promenade Twin Peaks tribute series. Hmm. We covered The Nightingale, which was one that Julie Cruz did on the Twin Peaks soundtrack, the original one. And Sammy's a real Twin Peaks nut as well as I. So we managed to score that song and uh, did quite a nice version. Gets huge place still. And of course, I have to pay all the royalties to David Lynch and, and Angelo Badalamenti. Yep. <laughs> but hey, you know, we, we get a few little return on investment with people come to check out other stuff through that but that was a great fun song so, and then when I had that other song Closer which I actually it's the only song that I didn't write um, some friends of mine husband and wife wrote that song many years ago I always loved it but they never never released it so I thought please can I cover that song and they said yep sure so um, that's an electronic version of, of their song and since then then they have actually released it on an album themselves in a slightly different way so yeah uh, Rat Reels is fantastic but she's not like um particularly in the synthwave scene she just ha happens to have done a lot of music that has that kind of vibe yeah i used to see her social media posts and then it just dawned on me now like i hadn't seen what she's been up to in like five or six years or something and like yeah. that happens to me all the time like even for you know there's artists who you know i'll be listening to a lot and then suddenly four years goes by and then it just hits me like whatever happened to so and so and then and then there's artists who are just around and then not around yeah there's a lot of people who came and went or moved on to other things and i think in terms of synthwave what it's been like i don't know 12 years or more now really 2010 i guess was when it really started to kind of get going it was almost like you know, 50 years and synthwave years yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know because it's been there's, there's so many phases and it's a it's a long time and you, you know I, I think if you put a record out in 2010 i mean uh, people i can think of as like fm attack or you know those those guys were were around in the early days still still doing stuff Whenever I'm nostalgic for the early days, it's just because I could manage my music listening. Right, because... Because there wasn't, like, a million artists. Yeah, right. So now I'm filtering through stuff and trying to find tracks to play on the show, and there's just so much to go through that some stuff probably falls through the cracks. I'm assuming it does. I mean, I'll look at my playlist, and it's so long that occasionally I'll scroll through it and just find an artist who I'm like wow, I've got their discography and I've never played a track of theirs on the show because there was probably like one day where I was listening to their music and like, oh, this is super cool. I'll play this on the show sometime. And then it goes into my playlist folder, my music folder where there's like a million other things. And then I get sidetracked and then I forget that I downloaded it. Yeah. I think that happened one day too when I was like buying something on Bandcamp and then uh, I I already had it. Because <laughs> like, like, sometimes like people will send me their music and then I buy it later because I forget that they even sent it to me. And then I've got like two of the copies of the album. I'm like, what the fuck did I buy? They gave it to me for free. And then I, well, whatever. Yeah, I mean, but it is like that. And I mean, but I think you're right. Like you used to be able to keep a cap on it. And I, I guess it's like anything, the more popular it gets, the more stuff there is. So it's harder, you know, because there were certain, like there was synthetics blog, 
way back and that was kind of the place that a lot of people found the music it was kind of a finite thing so if you put something out then most people would see it mm-hmm. and then blogs come and go and, and people say I'm giving up writing I'm not doing a blog anymore I'm not doing a show or so all the the outlets tend to shift and obviously you've you've been around for you know a very long time so you're a constant in that regard but it just fractures a lot so the place that you thought everybody would see your stuff no longer exists so you have to find somewhere else and then there's so many other people competing you know like there's night driver 86 and you know black neon night drive 78 (laughs) or something so you know it does get busy i always find myself complaining about this yet this is technically supposed to be my job (laughs) is to actually know this stuff and curate these things but because i've listened to so much synthwave obviously since the show started that sometimes my interest lies more now in sort of reaching on the periphery of the scene and outside of the scene yeah in some respects i know there's some episodes i put out now that maybe to the synthwave purist would be like well this isn't synthwave you know like i'm just playing weird like electronic pop and electro tracks and things i'm finding on the internet like just because i like just electronic influenced music yeah and it all comes down to like personal taste no i I think that's right though because it's hard to say this but there's never really been a synthwave sound i know what people kind of envisage it to be probably the instrumental miami knights sort of sound yeah or laser hawk or you know kavinsky's whatever you know that's probably the most visible thing that people think of when they think of synthwave but to me it's kind of more encapsulates a a sort of a sound or a vibe and that generally that is tended to be influenced by 80s stuff whether it's you know the instrumental stuff which is more blade runnery instrumental stuff or it's full-on pop music and and the full-on pop music stuff has only really started to come up in the last five years or so in a bigger way and it's actually probably more popular you know you've got your michael oakley's and your ollie rides and donna jean phoenix and roxy drives and ninas and stuff Uh, and i would put myself in that category as well where it's kind of more just making the the songs it's more about vocal songs with 80s influences in them and that could be synthwave also instrumental music hip-hop and r&b from the 80s there's a whole lot of different music that you can put in there but i understand that for a purist who's just grown up on laser hawk or whatever then anything outside that could be looked at as imposter music you know yeah anyway look the point is all right all right, all right. we all love music we, yeah this is the thing whenever i would used to get in arguments with people about whether they like cats or dogs better <laughs> It's obviously cats is your answer. Well, for me, I mean, I like cats, but like it would always frustrate me because at the end of the day, I'm like, can't we just agree that we like animals? Yeah. There's a commonality here. And I think that's where we got to. Yeah. I think people like to be in tribes. They like to say, well, you know, on the back of my jacket is Kavinsky. And uh, I see another guy over there with a Kavinsky uh, badge or button. I'm going to go hang with them because he understand. they already understand each other, right? So I, I get that. That's cool. You know, if, if you're a punk rocker and you see another one, it's kind of like you kind of understand where the other person is coming from without even talking to them. And I get that. I think that's totally fine because we like to empathize and kind of talk about the stuff that we like with other people. And, and a lot of the time that's music. But like you don't have to like other styles of music, but you can appreciate other people liking them. I don't like that whole term guilty pleasure. Oh, oh God, you know, I listen to the song and it's a guilty pleasure. It's not a guilty pleasure. You just like the fucking song. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> There's nothing wrong about it. Just like it and tell people you like it because it might open their world up to listening to that music and, and actually not be embarrassed about liking it as well, you know? So you shouldn't be embarrassed about that stuff. But I, I don't consider Diamondfield as a synthwave project. I consider it as an 80s 
sounding project and it, and it always has been it just happened to be when I was starting to make it I cottoned on to like FM Attack and you know Miami Nights and, all, and Christine and things like that and going oh wow someone else is doing this you know yeah 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 maybe that's something I could use to my advantage I can slot into there and not have to be continually told oh that sounds 280s by people because yeah it does because it's meant to and yeah. there's some people that actually <laughs> like it so I think too that, that would be another example of a lot of those artists doing that music at the time probably thinking they were by themselves and then going oh this is a guilty pleasure for me no one's gonna listen to it but actually finding hey nope there is a market or there is an audience well I tell you what the audience wants to listen to some more music okay this was one you did with uh, Bob Harrow yep and we can talk about that but let's listen to the track first this is Diamond Field and Bob Harrow with Won't Compromise
And that was Won't Compromise by Diamond Field and Bob Harrow. I feel like my voice has been like cracking it this whole week. I've been recording and... Oh, you sound good to me. My voice keeps uh, crackling away. Anyways, uh, I'm here right now with Diamond Field, a.k.a. Andy Diamond. Yes. So talk to me about that. It's another one of those sort of internet stories, the, the modern way of communicating where it's really easy to get in touch with people just randomly. For those who don't know, Bob Harrow was, well, is a big uh, name in BMX racing and freestyle, the trick riding part of BMX. And he was big in the 80s, he started a company called Harrow Designs. He did uh, like number plates and all kinds of apparel and was a great BMX freestyle rider. He's kind of said to have invented the sport of freestyle BMX. And yeah, it was just a real real presence in the, in the 80s. And I was a BMX racer myself. And so he was always visible to me in all the magazines and stuff yeah probably 15 years ago I, I was on soundcloud and i found some songs by bob and i thought oh is this the same bob harrow and i listened to them it was really cool kind of 80s synth pop like eurasia or pet shop boys and he was singing and i thought oh shit this guy can sing as well and it turns out that he had actually been making all this 80s pop music in the 80s when he was doing the bmx stuff but because he was so busy with the bmx stuff he kind of just did a few songs and in his own time and he had you know, like he had a yamaha QX1 sequencer and a Juno 106 and you know all these really cool things so he was really into it back then and so I listened to the stuff and I thought shit he'd be really good on one of my songs so maybe I'll get in contact with him to see if he's interested and I contacted him and I said hey you know you're interested in doing this and he's like yeah man that sounds really cool so we formed a friendship from there and eventually he wrote some lyrics and a melody for the music that I gave him and that was Won't Compromise and we shot a video for it here in New York in the middle of winter when it was like 23 degrees Fahrenheit outside which you can see on on YouTube and we're freezing our asses off <laughs> and since then I've helped him out with some other he's released a whole lot of music himself which is all synth pop stuff and I've helped do some mixes for those and it's just been a nice little musical re- relationship again it's one of those things where you can reach out to someone on the internet that you admire or whatever and, and you may hear back from them they might tell you to get fucked but they might actually say let's do something wait so you were a BMX racer in Auckland uh, in New Zealand yeah not in Auckland when I was in a little tourist town where I grew up it's called Rotorua and that's where all the geysers and the stinky sulfur and stuff is mm. and we used to we used to race around on our BMX bikes listen to um, new wave and uh, a little bit of metal and stuff like that and not so much cause havoc but attempt to it was fun so was it like a big deal meeting bob yeah yeah it was i mean for me it was so um we are good good buddies now we can talk about music and all kinds of stuff and that's just a nice thing i think it's one of those things where you know you meet someone later in life and you think oh if, if we were younger and had met a long time ago we would have been friends then as well yeah so it was it was nice see that's a nice story i like stories like that yeah, yeah, I, I do too. And um, <laughs> <laughs> and so we were just approaching this as a project that was going to work for both of us and without any huge expectations on it, which made it, you know, made it fun. We pressed up some uh, seven inches of it too. Well, we did that through Sofa King uh, Vinyl. They wanted to put out a bunch of seven inch singles that were all synth based artists. And Bob and I's song was the first title in that. So we, they kindly pressed up a whole bunch of different coloured versions of a seven inch, um, mm. which was nice. And uh, we had a, on the B-side was a LaFlex remix, good old LaFlex. That was a nice thing to happen too. It was like, oh, we've got a, a vinyl of this. This is cool. Yeah, so hopefully we'll do some more collaboration as Diamond Field and Bob Harrow at, at some point when I make an, another record. What the hell is Luca Discs? 
What the hell is Luca Discs? Okay, so that's my record label, which I started in 2009. You know, every man and his dog was starting a record label, right? Mm. And that's great. You should, because labels can be troubled if they're not your own. And um, <laughs> so I just wanted <laughs> something to put out. You know, I put out a record for an Americana country artist that I played with, and that was my first release back in 2009. And then I produced another album for him. We put out another one, and I, I just needed a label name, and my son's name was Luca. He's actually changed it to Jamie now because he likes that better. Mm. And Luca discs, yeah, Luca can be like money or whatever as well. But the only reason why I asked with such contempt is because whenever I would go to like Diamond Field Links, yep, and then it would go to Luca Discs, yep. I figured it was your label. Like, I mean, that's usually what happens in this case because I get confused easy. Again, you got to remember all these aliases I have to remember and all this other stuff. I'm like a, like a really confused old guy. <laughs> oh, a really confused old guy. Yeah, yeah. There's different. You know, like when you watch the commercials about dementia and there's sort of like a bewildered old guy who doesn't know why he's there or what's going on like that's the way I am as I navigate all of the aliases and band names and synthwave I scroll through my playlist and there's like 80 artists that have the same word in their name like it all starts with night something I'm just scrolling like do I even know what's going on anymore and then you know, I get it, and I'm I, I definitely have contributed to that kettle of uh, nonsense where I've got like a label for this and a name for that, and someone else is the same person but they've got a different name on that, and it's kind of I'm trying to be clever. <laughs> <laughs> the whole point, like. I couldn't call it Diamond Field Records because Luca Discs releases other artists and other types of music. So I thought, well, I might as well put my own album out on my own label, right? There's different types of music and there's... Um, so what's the split? The split? Yeah, yeah. Like, well, how much goes to Luca Discs and how much goes to Diamond Field? Well, Luca Discs takes care of whatever Diamond Field gets and then Diamond Field has to allocate that out to the collaborators that are involved in it. So well, someone like me who's always collaborating, mm. the Spotify um, 0.3 cents needs to be split so put it that way mm. so it's all very above board all right, all right we put out a single for um initial talk in 2020 the lovely japanese artist who does a lot of great remixes for you know all those pop things like kylie and dua lipa and all those people but makes fantastic 80s retro stuff himself he approached me would you like to put out this single because i really like your label and i was like oh that's cool right so that's kind of like having the the label thing and people seeing the label as an entity in itself with the artists involved with it for someone like initial talk to say well, i want to be on that label or could you release it is a really nice place to be because it's people acknowledging your, your label you know well it's nice i mean like it's nice to hear success stories that aren't just uh, from my perspective where i'm just confused by everything <laughs> so it's nice that like that does work for other people i don't think anybody would know that you have no idea what's going on unless you you keep telling them andy and i do <laughs> keep telling them <laughs> so i would just keep that quiet and everybody's gonna think hey man when you've made 300 episodes of a fucking show after a while there's nothing left to talk about but how crazy you're going well, we're trying. We're trying. You know, at least you haven't said, uh, how did you get your name? Or how many people are in the band? You know. That's true. Yeah. So, you know, you're free to ask those questions. Well, but, we, well uh, we, can, like we can do that next, man. <laughs> I've, I've got a whole list of really exciting questions I ask all my guests, such as, what's your favorite VST? Oh. We, we can get into that. But first, I want to listen to another song. You put out an album. Yes. Just called Diamond Field. Surprisingly. Now, on Bandcamp, it is called Diamond Field, and then in brackets, 24-bit. I'm assuming that's not part of the title? That is... Now, we... Okay, this is going to confuse you even more. Mm. So... Luca Discs, my label, did a joint venture, what they call a joint venture in the business. Mm. And that is to join up with another label partner 
and released the record that way. And so we joined up with Sofa King Vinyl. Again, if you say that fast, it sounds very rude. Mm. And uh, because they had put out our the Bob Hara and Diamond Field 7-inch, but they'd also put out Client Liaison and um, the Motion Epic and Glass Apple Bonsai and OSC, a whole lot of great titles, but they specialise in putting them out on vinyl and physical product. So they had that set up and I wanted to, of course, like everybody wants to put vinyl out. So I thought that would be a nice way to go about it. Team up with someone who knew what they were doing, who had all the facility, uh, could mail stuff out and deal with people with returns and have the right mailers so the record doesn't turn up in pieces and all that stuff. And Max at uh, Sofa King said, yep, yep, that's cool, let's do it. So we worked out a deal. His band camp takes care of all my physical stuff to do with the record and the 24-bit thing is they're interested in audio file quality so 24-bit just purely refers to the quality of the release digitally that you're going to get that is not the title of the record as I have to keep telling people it's just eponymously called Diamond Field because I couldn't think of any other name you should have called it 24-bit well I should now really officially yeah mm, no I'm just <laughs> you got me thinking now no no go 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 ahead caller well, how about this? The caller wants to uh, hear a track from it. So uh, this was one I liked called Spills Like Love. Yes. Featuring Cody Carpenter. Now, every single song seems to be a featuring on this album. Indeed. Yes. So that must be fun. We can talk about that afterwards. Uh, how about we just listen to this track? This is uh, Spills Like Love by Diamond Field featuring Cody Carpenter.
And that was Diamond Field with the track Spills Like Love featuring Cody Carpenter. I'm here right now with Diamond Field, a.k.a. Andy Diamond, a.k.a. Andrew B. White. The B stands for Bruce. I find this title really confusing. Every time I look at it, I want to say something else. It's a funny combination of words. Spills like love. Yeah, yeah. Is that a turn of phrase? No, no, no. It's not a turn of phrase. Spills like love. See, whenever I see it, it strikes me as, is this a turn of phrase I don't know? Oh, right, right. I get you. And then I'm like, is it spills? Is it spoils of love? You know, like, but it's not, right? So then I... My brain starts to work as to figure out like what it means. So Cody wrote the lyrics and the melody for that and did the little synthy solo thing in it. So for him, that's his lyric. Often song titles written down on their own or lyrics written on their own look completely well, how, how's this going to work? But when you actually hear it sung or hear it, you know, in the song, it completely makes more sense. So I just gave him the music and well i call that my kind of yacht rock song and sort of 70s kind of fusion proggy stuff that's as close as i'll get and cody has a great project called ludrium it's very 70s kind of progressive rock lots of cool players and stuff and he sings a lot on that stuff he does with, with his instrumental stuff he doesn't sing so much it's kind of the john carpenter sort of stuff that he does with his dad so i thought that he would be a great fit to sing on the song and he was he just brings a really nice energy and such a lovely guy and when he put that synth solo down i was like yes this is perfect again it's got that kind of arp 2600 sort of sort of uh <laughs> <laughs> shall i do that again sort of bendy kind of synth solo that wouldn't have been out of the place in 1979 or something yeah well that's cool yeah i liked it good <laughs> well good <laughs> I don't have a, as much of a, a, a clever or robust musical vocabulary as you have with the uh, however one would spell that. So when you were making this album, was it really important to you that it be 24-bit? <laughs> We've already had this conversation. Uh, it is 24-bit. You know what? If I had done it at a higher rate, it could have been called 96K or something like that. But that takes up too much hard drive space. So it's good old 24-bit. You can buy the CD and we could call it uh, 16-bit if you like. Do CDs not go higher than 16? No, they're 16-bit. Yeah. 16-bit has always been the max for compact disc. Yep. So it's important to you that you're like, listen, man, Diamond Field surpasses even the most advanced compact disc, and I'm going to show it to you by displaying well, in the title that this album is 24-bit. Look, I know you have the brain of a goldfish. I just told you before, that's, that's Max's idea. He wants to say to people that all his releases on Sofa King are all like high res, which is kind of ironic because if you download something from Bandcamp, you can choose the bit rate you want. So Wait, so my problem is with Max. Get this guy on the phone. Max, where are you? <laughs> yeah, you can you can download a FLAC or a WAV or whatever on, um, or AIFF on, on Bandcamp, which essentially AIFF will pretty much be 24-bit if that's what the master was in. Likewise with a FLAC, but WAV is, can be 24-bit as well. Or could be 16-bit. Well, the thing is this. My audience isn't even going to notice because I render out this show at like 96 kilobytes. Yeah. Because people have asked before and just like, why don't you render out in a higher bit rate? I'm like, because I'm not going to release a fucking like 600 megabyte podcast every week. You got to hold them in your phones and stuff. You know what I'm saying? Well, and also, you know, if you want to you know, get the full experience after you've heard this crappy version here that's been crunched to death and, and de-rezzed, de- you can go out and buy it. It's like when Steve was doing Power 85 years ago, he set up the processor's 
settings, like emulating the sound of radio, and I like that sound. Yeah. It definitely gives the talk show radio sound for like the interview bits. And since the show is compressed, it like I, I believe encourages listeners to go out and buy the music to get the full high res experience when they support the artist. But then there's always going to be those people who bitch about shit or, or don't get the you know the format of the show. Like I still occasionally get the there's too much talking in the chat show comments. I think it's far too much music in the chat show myself. Well, sometimes if I got nothing to say. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But today this, we but got this fucking, uh, this 24-bit debacle, and this is really fascinating well, to me. Well, the thing is that, you know, <laughs> the whole thing with compression is there's good compression and bad compression. You can pretty much compress the crap out of something. It can still sound okay if you're using the right codecs or whatever. So, you know, and that's what the whole point was invented for is so that it doesn't take up shitloads of room and you can stream it. I mean, now it's not so much of a big deal. I mean, personally, I listen to Tidal. I'm a Tidal subscriber mm. and Tidal has, they have a thing called Master Grade, which if your album, you can check a little box when you put it to your distributor, your aggregator, when you put your album out there and it says upload in high resolution to uh, Tidal or whatever and you do that and then you can listen to it in master quality, which can be 24-bit and above. It can even be higher depending on whoever the artist is. To me, that makes a real difference. I, as soon as I see a release, I go, oh, I'm going to go to Tidal and check out, you know, so-and-so's new, new record and listen to it. And hopefully they have a master grade version of it. Some people neglect that because uh, they probably don't know you can do that. But with uh, Apple Music, they offer that as well. Now with um, their lossless thing, it'll play the highest resolution that you want. Amazon have a hi-fi thing. Spotify doesn't at this point. Neither does uh, YouTube Music. I think also, too, a lot of this has to do with how good your actual sound system is as well. Yeah. I was never really an audiophile, and I'm still not. Usually, I just download, like, 320 kilobyte MP3s, because I just sure. like the file size or whatever. Yep. The only time I ever really noticed a difference was, yeah, when I first started downloading music, you know, back in the days of LimeWire and Kazaa and Napster yeah. and shit. Yep. Yeah, then they were compressing songs to yeah 64 yeah clearly didn't like sounded compressed but at the time it was cool because i downloaded a yeah. song on my computer yeah. so it didn't bug me until i listened to the cd and was like oh hmm something wrong here like this sounds a lot like, better than this shit i'm getting on the internet exactly and that's what like uh three 328 mp3 sounds great because that's the highest kind of quality you can get and it sounds most people are listening on ear, earbuds and stuff and you know the idea is to have your music be able to sound good in that format but also off the the option for those who like a higher res version if they're sitting down with, with their dac connected to their stereo out of their computer and you know they want the full maximum resol resolution you can still offer that as well so you, this is the whole thing and i think the mastering process like i do master my own stuff sometimes but for this record and other things i don't because we did vinyl and we did cassette and we did cd i, I had my mastering guy adam boost who's done a lot of Sofa King mastering. He really knows what he's doing for each of those formats. So we actually got it mastered for cassette even because the way that a cassette sounds, if you just give them the digital file for streaming, it's not going to sound as good as it could for cassette because tape responds differently. And likewise for the vinyl, that's a different master. It's a different master for the CD. It's a different master for the streaming because all of those things are different sounding and they need a different master to get the maximum best result. And, I mean, you, you can tell a difference, like, for instance, Von Herzog, uh, Kent, he's doing a lot of mastering for a lot of synthwave acts at the moment, and because he understands the sound of how all that works, and he's got a great system, he really gets it, so the quality of the masters for everybody is taking a step up, 
and there are people who do take a lot of careful time about their master because a lot of the time people are mastering their own stuff which is fine but it can get not quite as refined as it might be if you've got a mastering engineer so thanks for coming to my TED talk yeah I just like letting people talk and see what happens. Well, stuff happens if you keep letting them talk. Jesus. Yeah, that's the that's the fun. That's the, the difference. Mm-hmm. When I first started this show, I talked for most of the episode. After a few years, I'm like, ah, you know what? I think Andy Diamond's got something good to say. <laughs> well, how about this? I want to listen to another song. All right. I want to listen to Out Here for Love. I don't know how to say this guy's last name. It's R-U-Y-S, Rise. So it's like, you know, the guy was on uh, Matthew Matthew Reese. He was on The Americans. So he is Matthew Reese on The Americans, the actor. And Matthew Rise is the singer on my record. So just... If you ever see them in the same place, you'll know how to pronounce their last name. Hmm. That sounds like a very convoluted way of remembering that. (laughs) The point is that we're going to listen to the song because I think this was uh, my favorite one from the album. I dug this one a lot. This is called Out Here for Love by Diamond Field featuring Matthew J. Rise. She 
And that was Out Here for Love by Diamond Field featuring Matthew J. Rise. And I am here right now with Andy Diamond, a.k.a. Diamond Field. Why did you, uh, what's the field part? Ah, okay. Well, here we go. How did you get your name? Yeah, so the Diamond Field, I was thinking up a name for the act. Maybe 2010, I think it was. And I really liked this album by Pat Benatar called Tropico came out in 85 and it has uh the ooh ooh song on it and we belong you know that big kind of ballad that she did and there's a song on that record the opening song's called diamond field and it's quite a cool 80s rocker sort of thing lots of synths and, and stuff lots of neil gerardo on his guitar pat belting it out and i thought oh yeah that's a really cool song that could make a really good band name so that's it and then <laughs> then the andy diamond thing came about because well i need a stage name so i call myself andy what and then uh, Berlin is another one of my favourite 80s band. And the keyboard player in Berlin is uh, David Diamond. And he, he looked really cool back then. He had like one of those pencil moustaches and, you know, like a pink tie and all that stuff. Played a Prophet 5 and all that. And I thought, oh, Diamond, that could be a good last name. And of course, Diamond Field. So Andy Diamond, Diamond Field, that worked. And um, that's how it came to be. I actually met the keyboard player from Pat Benatar's band uh, a few years ago. And he is an excellent keyboard player and he used to do all those synthesizers you know if a big opening and um, all, all those big Jupiter 8 fucking sounds and stuff that was him and his name is Charles Giordano Charlie and he always used to wear this red beret and play the, the synth and stuff very cool very cool and um, turned out his daughter was going to the same music school as my son so we'd end up the recitals together you know and, and then I found out who he was and he actually plays in the E Street band these days so it's like oh shit it's fucking wow that's awesome and then I actually got to play with him at a show once he came and played keyboards this is a completely different type of music it's like Americana he played accordion and piano and I went up to him and said oh remember that album you did with Pat Penatar called Diamond Field and he's like oh I should have not listened to that for like I don't know 30 years or something mm-hmm. and I'm like well I've got this kind of band and um, I named my band after that song that you did on that record. And you say, oh, okay. So I was kind of a big, complete 360 uh, or 180 or whatever it is to come back to the circle of naming yourself after a song on a record and then meeting the person who played on that song and then playing with them. It was kind of like, is this happening? Is this kind of real? So that's a funny little story for you. <laughs> hmm. I like funny stories. So that's how the name came about. Well, that is very exciting. It's always interesting to me, man. You meet people and you, you find out their origin story. Skateboarding around, rah, 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 what was the place called? <laughs> oh, riding my BMX bike in Rotorua. R-O-T-O-R-U-A. Pretty much exactly what I do now. See? Look, I remembered everything perfectly. You did. You I just did. fucked up what you were doing and where you were doing it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I might have actually been to that place in New Zealand when I was a kid. Uh, I just don't remember. It was like a long time ago. Oh, really? Well, it's still there. That's, <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. Still, it's a, it's a lovely, lovely place to visit if you can get there these days because it's all kind of blocked off. Did you ever get a chance to visit Middle Earth before you left? We would drive past it all the time, but Middle Earth is kind of scattered all over the place. It's kind of not just one. Oh, right, place. but don't they have like a Hobbiton set up? Yes, 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 they do. That, that wasn't too far from where I was. I grew up. It's kind of on the way off the main highway. You can go there, and, and when we watch the movies, it's like, oh, yeah, we've seen that, seen that before. 
big deal, you know. Some mountains, oh yeah, bit of snow. That's the way I feel about because uh, they film so many movies in Toronto. Yeah, and so that happens a lot where you're watching a movie and it's like supposed to be New York, and I'm like, that's fucking Toronto, man. I know the street. <laughs> it always exactly it takes away some of the charm. No, there's a, t- Toronto is used a lot that a lot in New Zealand too because since actually the uh, Peter Jackson's stuff. And Xena, Power Rangers, a lot of other like movies go down there because it's cheaper to film, and yeah. they have these big productions set up. So it is like Canada now, where it's kind of cheaper to go down there and do that because they have the facilities, especially with Peter Jackson's Weta Workshop. They do all that three D stuff. So yeah, it makes sense for them to go, and they can make any place pretty much look like somewhere else. Yeah, I think even I can tell that it's Toronto and not New York. Well, I should be able to, right? But usually it's like something stupid, like you just see in the background, it's a store or something that's just like a Canadian shop. Tim Hortons or something in the background. Yeah. It's like, there's no Tim Hortons in New York, sorry. Is there not? No. I think Tim Hortons tried to expand into the UK or something at one point. I think there is Tim Hortons, or maybe it's more like um, Milwaukee or something. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's some, like, those states that are northern and close. But I I feel like there's probably a few. Uh, There could be somewhere else, but definitely not in the city. I'm pretty sure they did try to expand at one point outside of Canada. I mean, I used to go to Tim Hortons and get bits and pieces. And, of course, you couldn't avoid it, but I remember... (laughs) Poutine was something that was interesting to me and, and something I did not gravitate to at all. And then I'd go to KFC and West Edmonton Mall and they, I, I ordered fries with my chicken and they fucking put poutine on it. And I'm like, what is this? And it's kind of like a given that you want poutine on your chips. <laughs> no, it's a, it's an intense thing. I mean, like, it is just uh, fries with gravy and cheese on it. Yeah. Or yeah. cheese curds if they're doing it properly. But uh, some places just put cheese, you know, just melted cheese and, and gravy on fries. And you sort of eat it with a fork. Yeah, well... Or if you're in Edmonton with a knife. <laughs> off the guy you just bested in the knife fight in the Edmonton Mall. Yeah, let's take it to the hockey rink and... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've got a knife down here. Hey, hey, I got a knife. That's the way all the Canadians talk. They always talk about going yeah. down to the hockey rink. That's like the thing that they say. That's what I always say, and I don't even play hockey. Right, well, you know, hey, I see you down at the rink, eh? That is how we sound. Like, I'm not even going to criticize the impression. Although, different parts of Canada, it does get a bit more intense. Yeah, yeah, I found that Alberta was kind of more like a Midwest American accent. It had kind of a, a commonality in some regards with, like, Minnesota or, you know, places like that just full of tim hortons and there's so many dude if you look at the tim hortons map of toronto i think there's honestly like 300 i guess it's like starbucks in america right yeah i mean we do have a fair number of starbucks as well but actually over um you know the past few years here with covid and stuff um there have been a bunch that have closed tim hortons don't close okay they always are there Right. At worst, it becomes a coffee time. <laughs> there's like the worst one. So like there's Tim Hortons, which is like the well-known popular one. Then there's coffee time, yep. which is kind of the one where you see sort of sketchier people. Like whenever you see where there's a coffee time set up, it's usually in like kind of a shitty corner and like the people inside are a little sketchy and stuff. Not to say that doesn't happen with Tim Hortons because it does, but. Yeah. So they've basically got the sign that says bathroom for customers only that people ignore. And then by, by, by the bathroom, you've got Johnny D and, you know, he's. He's styling out the the baggies. Yeah, he's my best friend. 
He's where I get my baggies. And then occasionally you'll see a place that used to be a coffee time that has since been changed to someone else just running a coffee place. There's actually several examples of this where it's the coffee time sign, but they've crossed out a letter or something (laughs) because they didn't take the sign down because it was like big 3D letters. So I think there's one called Coffee Team where they sort of painted over the three-dimensional sign and just wrote EA and sort of made their letters fit within the shape of coffee time. Hmm, enterprising. And I think there was one was called Coffee Tim or something like for some I guess it just sort of goes like once you've got this big three dimensional sign if that business fails and that franchise goes under then it probably just costs like a hundred bucks for somebody else to just like take over that spot right and at that point you don't really have the budget to allocate to a new sign right because the plant's already there you just take it over. here's the key turnkey operation yeah. go and do it. <laughs> just just make sure you you know you change it to Coffee Tim so yeah. people might think it's Coffee Tim Hortons or you know the obvious one is Cough Time but that's probably not appropriate right at the moment you know yeah but i mean that's probably what's going on in there a lot of people like their cigarettes and coffee <laughs> of course you can't smoke inside in canada either no that's true yes. can't even smoke outside these days <laughs> government yeah man uh so <laughs> <laughs> I, I, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna, that, yeah man, I was gonna, was hey, hey, man. <laughs> yeah man you know i'm gonna get in my truck and i'm gonna you should have talked the whole time like that that's the voice no, you no. should have done this interview in uh look how about this yep we can wind down here but how about you pick a song okay and we'll we'll play that one and then we'll we'll wind down how about that okay sure so you want me to play something off the record you can play whatever you like okay. i mean preferably a diamond field track but oh yeah of course of course let's play used to be which is my attempt at being like a go-go's you know, the Go-Go's sort of Belinda Carlisle and Jane Wielden sort of attempt, which is sung by Chelsea Nenny, who is a good friend of mine and plays in a band called Late Slip, who does really cool kind of Dolly Parton crossed with the Ramones or something like that. It's kind of cool, surfy punk rock. And I had the pleasure of playing in that band and said, you need to sing on my record. And she obliged and did it in pretty much one take. And it's just a fun kind of upbeat new wave kind of pop rock song cool man well let's listen to it this is used to be by diamond field featuring chelsea nenny
And that was Used to Be by Diamond Field featuring Chelsea Nanny. And I am here right now with Diamond Field, a.k.a. Andy Diamond. And we've just been uh, having a fun old chat here. And uh, But we can probably wind down. Is there anything we didn't talk about that you wanted to talk about? Oh, I think we've covered a lot of stuff. I did want to do a little plug, though, because obviously all artists want to put their record out on vinyl. And we did it, thank God, the production time is horrendous even when we i was getting ready to release the record it was horrendous and then it got more horrendous basically the day i handed it in to the plant they're like oh no it's gonna we've we've added another two months to the production cycle because everything's going apeshit and we finally got the records delivered um and they've been sent out to their very patient pre-ordered customers and we still have a few left uh, we did 300 on nice hot pink vinyl mm. yeah we did a nice little insert where we thanked everybody probably your, your name's probably in there Andy in fact I would probably guarantee that it is I, and uh, thanking me for it <laughs> I didn't do anything <laughs> well you know at least if you forget things you'll see your name and remember that it's you mm. <laughs> so that's out there and if you want to get one just go to Sofa King Vinyl and, and, and grab one now the most important question yes how many bit is the vinyl that's a good question does vinyl have a bit rate I no idea. Hey Siri. Hey Andy. Mm. Does vinyl have a bit rate? Hold on, let me check. Does vinyl have a bit rate? I'm typing that into the search engine now. No. Does vinyl have a bit rate? No, because it's not made up of ones and zeros. That's my guess. Vinyl being analog would not have a bit rate like a digital source yeah. and cannot be compared in this manner. So, yes, no ones and zeros, so. But uh, I have to say that the vinyl does sound great because we kind of maxed out the amount of time you can fit on a vinyl record before you have to put it on like 245 RPMs or something because if you have too much music on a on a piece of vinyl the needle can jump out because the bass is overbearing or something so you have to take the bass out and therefore your vinyl doesn't sound as good and all that stuff but the mastering we had done from Adam Boost it sounds great and it sounds like an 80s record you know that's exactly what it sounds like you put it on you have to turn the volume knob up a bit to get the full effect but it just sounds great so so we're very, very happy with that. And uh, hopefully, you know, we won't be getting those people on Discog saying, bought the vinyl, sounds lame, couldn't hear, blah, 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 this, that, and all the other audiophile stuff that they complain about on Discog. So hopefully people will like that. Well, sounds good to me, man. The, uh, the vinyls I have are just for display. Well, you can hang this one and look at it if that's your uh, gig, which is what we designed it for as well. I had a friend in Australia fucking Australian. Mm. Well, he's actually from New Zealand, used to work for me, but he moved to Australia and he's a really good 3D designer. He did that uh, little rendition of me logo and like Cinema 4D or one of those programs. So the cover is meant to look nice so you could hang it on your wall if, if you don't have a turntable. If you only collect Taylor Swift records to look at, uh, you could get a Diamond Field one and put it right next door. Well, that's exactly what I do because well, I just, I don't know any other way to get pictures of Taylor Swift <laughs> and so I just keep buying vinyls. But at least your vinyls finally got shipped because like a lot of things are delayed now like i recently got a laptop that took like three months to ship this always happens when you actually really want it yes otherwise oh, i don't i don't need that i'm gonna order it on amazon and the next day it arrives and it's like oh god why couldn't this be reversed it really bugs me that amazon is so shitty from a workplace perspective because i really like it like i don't like shopping mm-hmm. and so when i started using amazon I, I was just like blown away by like oh this is great like just you, know, you just order shit and then it just comes to your house and nowadays with a plant being so close here like it is the next day sometimes yep. even the same day if you order shit in the morning that's right and it is great 
But then anytime you ever see any stories about it, it's like, you know, they whip their workers, right? And shove them into little boxes and kill them. And you're just like, oh, man, that sucks. But fuck, it's such a useful service, especially for someone who doesn't like shopping. Yeah, it's a dichotomy. It's like Amazon is the Facebook of Spotify of the <laughs> of the the knife murderers of Edmonton. You know, yeah, it's yeah. kind of there's something good and evil in all of those things. Yeah, although uh, I I could do without Facebook. I think. Yeah, I mean, I if you that. made me choose right now and said, "What do you keep in Amazon or Twitter and Facebook?" I'm Amazon. I'll keep the packages. Yeah, the packages uh, keep them coming. I mean, in my hour of need, the Amazon, you know, the little shiny head guy has kind of come through for me. I'm referring to Jeff, of course. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> never mind. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Continue. So, what else would you like to talk about? I don't know. Are you doing any live shows? Yes, Diamond Field is doing some live shows because we I use so many different people to sing. Obviously, you can't get all of those people in the same place at the same time to sing all of their songs. You know, there'd be 12 singers on stage doing one song each or something. Ridiculous. So coming to do that live, you're like, oh, okay. So I had to find a vocalist who could cover all of those songs and uh, work as a duo. Because we're starting as a duo. Just, you know, typical fucking synthwave bullshit where you have a laptop and, you know, you have a keyboard and you press a button and stand there like a dick. Yeah. And then someone sings. Well, it's not quite like that. I actually am playing guitar and stuff and, and things. And then... And um, we have a vocalist, Jenny, who's going to be doing that. And we're just going to pick a few of the songs that we like and that we feel happy about singing and put a little set together. And then hopefully we can expand that out. So, you know, maybe get a drummer and a, someone else will play bass. Or, but if we start small, we could do little things like, you know, the Outland thing or if those types of things come back online or Neon Fest, which was a great one that we had a couple of years ago. Start getting out there and doing that because playing live is, is lots of fun, even when you're kind of karaokeing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I've always enjoyed just the social aspect of these events because it's nice to be with uh, with my people. Yeah. And I, I do miss that. It's been a long time. but Yeah, and I, I was going to come to the Outland one too with Aaron from Vilingo, but it didn't quite work for me at that point. And um, the Neon Fest in Rhode Island was great too. That was, we had Dana Jean Phoenix and we had Future Holotape. A gazillion fucking people there. Yeah, like I was getting very, very close to actually, like I even got my passport and shit. That was a big joke on this show for like eight years. I never had a passport. (laughs) And then I finally got it about two weeks before everything shut down. (laughs) So it was like... Excellent. Yeah, that was fun. Because that was the one thing where I was like, I'll get it and go to that. But I wasn't going to announce that I was going to that. I just wanted to do it sort of quietly so I could just sort of enjoy it. Because that's the one thing I... The lesson I learned from Outland is I don't ever want to go to one of those things again and work. Right. Because it was very stressful. It's tough. And meanwhile, there's a show going on that I was kind of missing some of. Yeah. That's why Rhode Island seemed like a fun idea because it was sort of like, okay, people are playing shows at night. So in the afternoon, I can like, you know, casually just walk up to people and like hey you want to record something for like fucking half hour 40 minutes and maybe around supper time like let's get some beers and Mm -hmm. record something with a few people like just have some fun yeah and since it took place over several days that would have been a bit more relaxed but since outland was so packed into that night right i was fucking drained and it was so hot and i was just so drained i mean you you don't realize how much energy you're kind of putting into that over the top of what you normally do just being a a punter you know so because when i went to neon i i went 
as a photographer as well so I was doing photos which was great because I would I'd be doing that anyway even just casually I would take photos but I was kind of shooting everything and then seeing all these people that I knew you know as well like oh, hey how's it going having some drinks and catching up and then you know trying to get the high score on um, they had the video arcade games there in the same space as the live shows were going on at the same time so there'd be a live show happening be photographing that and then I'd go I've got to go get back to Xerius or whatever my favorite game and, <laughs> and try and get the high score on it and I did like several times over the course of the weekend so that, that was my ultimate goal in the days of internet where we know people by their several aliases or whatever actually meeting them in the flesh was great formed many friendships that still exist to this day because of meeting people in the flesh yeah that's the one thing I'm sort of worried about I mean it's embarrassing enough when you just forget pertinent details of somebody while you're speaking to them on the internet because I can always like sneak away and remind myself yeah. but in person I can't so I can't I can't be like talking to somebody in midway go uh, what's your name again? I know we've technically known each other for 10 years, <laughs> but I'm blanking on your name right now. Because I do that all the time. I blank on people's names who I shouldn't be blanking on. Yeah. I mean, all of this is just going to paint a lovely picture of the... <laughs> Like the events leading up to dementia. Like, I feel like my family will be able to listen back to this and go, oh, fuck, he was like losing his mind in like his 40s. Like, of course. No. And meanwhile, I'm just sort of stumbling around the house with my fucking pants at my ankles. No, you'll be, uh, they'll have some kind of drug by then, but it'll work too well and you'll go, oh, shit, I called Laserhawk uh, Night Drive 85 by mistake <laughs> on the 20th of January 2020. It'll- yeah, that would be actually pretty shocking. I don't think I would like that. Like, if you take a memory drug and actually makes you remember everything, like all the shameful shit. Oh, of course there's nothing shameful for you, though, Andy. I oh, mean, f- uh, my life is full of shame. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a shame machine. You're on the show for a start, so there's one thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but <laughs> I think, you know, I like the idea of these guys who are saying, you know, we're going to allow you to play back your dreams. Well, that would be cool. It could be cool, although as long as your dreams aren't about um, knife murderers in Edmonton. Well, that would be pretty tame, though. I mean, that's the one problem is just, like, dreams, I love the idea of being able to watch them or whatever but I feel like they're so abstract like I just don't believe that it would be ever possible like how do you properly convey an event where you're in a house but it's not a house and you're talking to your mom but it's actually a cat and now it's your friend from school you haven't seen in 17 years like what would actually be happening in the visual you know like did it ever look like your friend from 17 years ago or when you wake up is it just you trying to piece together like okay I think that's who that person was supposed to be representing but then you might watch the dream and it's just like a bunch of eyeballs like just kind of floating in space and you're just you know intuitively that that's your friend but the actual visual is not of the person it's of this fucking electricity flying through the air to your brain like there's no visual you know we've had that exact same dream But I think the benefit from that technology would be that you could actually pitch your story to Netflix and have, have them develop it into, like, you know, Ozark or something, you know? Well, it'd be pretty fucking sweet if they could just take the tape directly from your dream and then just fucking put it online you just get paid for it. you like, buddy, you got fucked up dreams. Put them on Netflix. No, no, that's a great idea for a new social media website thing where you upload your stuff and people pay a subscription to go and watch people's... I'm sure this has already been done in some kind of movie, right? It's got to be. Well, there was strange... Strange days. No, no, they, they would record events and then you'd put the little hat on and then you would experience it. Right, right. I think there's a Black Mirror episode about that stuff too. So I'm sure, yeah, of course it's been done before. Of course. What are we talking yeah. about? Yeah. <laughs> what are we talking about? Look. What the hell? Listen, man. Oh. 
I'm going to go away now and hang up on you. Well, that's fair. It's been nice to chat, and people should go check out the music of Diamond Field at Luca Discs and purchase the vinyl at Sofa King. Mm-hmm. Also a cassette, if you like those. CDs. We did a CD. Sofa King? Or did they just do the vinyl? Uh, no, they do CD and the cassette through them as well. So all the physical stuff is at Sofa King's Bandcamp. Sofa King vinyl. Now, is this a joke? Like, is Sofa King vinyl meant... Is he aware of the fact that if you say it, it sounds like you're saying so fucking vinyl? Like, is that the point? Yes. Okay. Yes, I believe so. But I, being a very Puritan mind Mm. and soul, when I first saw it, because it has a little logo of like a sofa with a crown on it for the logo. (laughs) I'm looking at it now. I always read it as Sofa King vinyl. Just very innocently just that's how i see it i don't see it as so fucking vinyl and i'm sure that people with dirty minds just think that straight away and uh you know if that works for you that's fine but well i do have a dirty mind (laughs) hence the shame i talked about earlier it's only shame if you frame it that way andy your own shame is could be someone else's um glorious you know and i'm sure it certainly is and with the internet (laughs) that's all the the internet has done is just expose me to just how weird people are yeah weird weird and kind of nasty and all that stuff but there are very nice people too and as we have discussed it can put you in touch with people to make things and uh we can talk over it and allow me on your pleasant show to speak about uh important matters like rates. Yeah, I guess that's the thing. As much as I bitch about the internet, without it, it wouldn't have allowed such situations as uh, Andy Diamond being in touch with the most important early innovators of BMX freestyle, Bob Harrow. True, very true. And on that note, will we are we going to rename the show? Call it Beyond Synth 24-Bit. That's like <laughs> 80 more bits than what I actually released the show in. Right, so we're still just going to call it Beyond Synth uh, 96 96K. kilobytes, uh, <laughs> 96 kbps. It still sounds good. I just get confused because there's the bit rate, but then there's also the sample rate, which is also measured in bits. Yeah, there's a bit rate of the audio quality and there's the data rate, right? So it's like how much data is streaming and how what, what you can compress that data down to. If you've got one of those really high-speed internet connections, you know, you're getting one gigabit per second or something. And so the bit rate is going to be, you know, you can get more bit rate. Oh, fuck, what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> The point is, I'll talk to you later. Uh, yes, I, I play music. I don't, I don't, I'm not a scientist. That's a shame. Well, I'd like to talk to a scientist. I have a lot of questions. Well, we could go down that road. It is the internet, after all. I yeah. could answer all your medical questions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're all experts now. It's exciting. Yes. Anyway, look. But, uh, yeah. I do appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to come on your fine show, sir. Well, it was nice to chat with you. And you too. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you in the movies. All right, and that was my conversation with Diamond Field. Uh, Hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget, if you enjoy this program, to uh, help support it and keep the lights on in the studio. Right now, uh, some of my lights are making a high-pitched buzzing noise, so I've actually had to turn them off to record today, so I'm in the dark right now. But you can help support this show by going to patreon.com slash beyondsynth or by donating on PayPal. The point is, you can find all the links uh, if you uh, listen to the episode and click the more info button or go to beyondsynth.com but the bottom line is thanks for listening to this show have a lovely day keep being cool and i'll talk to you next time on beyond synth the best synth wave chat show there is thanks for
Beyond Synth is made possible by the supporters on Patreon and PayPal. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a supporter at patreon.com slash beyondsynth or donating via PayPal at beyondsynth.com. If you want to submit music to the show, please email beyondsynthsubmissions at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow and subscribe to Beyond Synth on YouTube, Instagram, Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook. May the Force be with you.